was a very powerful, powerful clique, you know, of these guys. And um, they were like, who in the hell gave you permission to run? That's what they told me. One of them said, who gave you permission to run? You know, like a badass cholo. Yeah, they, they really gave me a lot of grief. But it was that old boys network. This is Sandra Munoz, and Law & Order Me Some Tacos is back for season two. I took a little break after what I thought was just a wonderful experience putting season one together, and we're back for season two. And I've been working on bringing on super interesting people, super interesting attorneys, and I think the first guest of this season definitely exemplifies all of that. She is retired judge Teresa Sanchez-Gordon, formerly of the Los Angeles Superior Court. And if you're an attorney in the Los Angeles area, or you're a Latina attorney, or you practice civil law, you probably know who Teresa is. She has definitely left a mark in our profession. She has definitely touched the lives of many attorneys, and in particular, Latina attorneys. And so it was really a great experience to have her on the show and go into more detail about her background and her journey, her road to becoming a judge, her road to becoming an attorney, and just hearing about her inspirational story. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And I hope you continue to listen to Law and Order Me Some Tacos and that you continue to enjoy the people who come on here. And I guess me too, huh? Thank you so much, everyone. Here is Teresa Sanchez-Gordon. Teresa, let me start by asking you... I always ask this question, and it always sounds to me like I'm asking, like, if if it's a gang question, but it's not. Like, where are you from? (laughs) Where are you from? (laughs) Where am I from? Where are you from? (laughs) Well, I'm really from Mexico. I was born in um, a little pueblito in the state of Jalisco. It's called Tizapan el Alto, Jalisco. And it's on the edge of Lake Chapala, which is the largest body of water, the largest lake in Mexico. And uh, so that's where I was born. I was there till I was um, three. Mm -hmm. And then my mother, along with her two other children, who were like two and six months, uh, we traveled to the border. My dad was already, you know, in L.A. working. And uh, he told my mom, sell everything, and I'm ready for you to come. Oh, wow. And so we went to Tijuana, and, you know, we crossed the border like millions of other undocumented Mexicanos who want to, you know, for my family, it was take my kids out of this pueblito where all the matones were, and no opportunity for their daughters or their son, and and give them another opportunity. And they thought coming to the United States was a place to to be. Yeah, better life. They're just in search of a better life, right? Better life, education for their girls, and an opportunity for my dad to make a little money, have a home, and, you know, just better quality of life. So when you came, you were three years old? Yes. And where, where did you grow up? 
Well, I, we spent a little time in Watts. That's where we landed. We landed in Watts on Nero Street. And then my dad rented my parent, my mom and the three of us a little apartment room right where Department of Water and Power is right now in Bunker Hill. Mm-hmm. And we stayed there during the time that my dad returned to Mexico to immigrate, you know, get his papers straightened out, because his dad became an American citizen, worked in Chicago at the foundries there for many years, learned English, retired and all of that. And he became an American citizen. And my 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 dad's father, me mi abuelo Eugenio, was our sponsor. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ah. And so your dad returned to Mexico to to get his papers, as they say. <laughs> yeah, get his papers straightened out. And then he entered legally into oh, the wow. United States with, you know, mm-hmm. I guess a, a green card of uh, some yeah. type. Yeah. yeah. And then little by little, you know, things just got better for us. My dad joined the union yeah. at Atlas Packing Company. He was, and then we, you know, we moved from that little little one-room apartment in Bunker Hill to East L.A. Mm. And uh, they bought their little first home on Michigan Avenue near between Eastern and Humphreys. And again, you know, my father started constructing and making the house bigger and, you know, just uh, he's a builder of types. And and, uh, we had a beautiful life in East L.A., you know. And did your mother work? No, she never really worked like full time because my mother was, in my eyes as a young girl, she was always pregnant, always <laughs> pregnant. You know, because you have you have I think you were there's telling eleven me, of us yeah, in that, total. That, I mean, that's you know, so she was <laughs> always pregnant. So no, she would like to. She would sometimes venture out and tell my dad, you know, the the nuns at Santa Marta Hospital need a help, and I want to go work over there at night. And and my dad would say, okay, but unas horas, you know, just a, a little yeah. bit. And uh, my mother was always the businesswoman, the woman who knew how to save and buy this and buy that for her children. And and uh, she, you know, she just knew how to work my dad's money. My dad would give her the check at the end of the week and she would make that check stretch. Yeah. And we had, a, you know, we went to Catholic school and I mean, I'm a Catholic school girl. For me still, I went to <laughs> grammar school, Our Lady of Soledad. And then I went to Sacred Heart of Jesus in Lincoln Heights. Yep. And then I went to Immaculate Heart College and, you know, and so I'm, you know, I've, I, I come from that background. Yeah. So you grew up in East L.A. and, you know, you, you went to school in Lincoln Heights, but st- mm-hmm. I mean, that's still kind of East L.A.? Kind of East L.A. I took six buses a day to get Did there. Did you? Yeah, three going and three coming back. Oh, man. Yeah, but it was fun. You know, we got all the Cathedral Boys. We got the Roosevelt Boys. Hey, we were we were partying on that bus. It was it was great. And yeah, and then you get to school and, you know, the nuns totally controlled us. It was an all-girls school, right? Mm-hmm. Is it still an all-girls school? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. And I think you still have connections. I mean, I... I I know this because I, I we have we share a friend who also went to to the same school, and I know yeah. that you guys still still have connections to the. Yeah, I think we're both very strong supporters of the school. I sent my granddaughter there, 
And, you know, I think there's something to say for a, a private school education. Yeah. Although we, I think it's also true when they say that Catholic school girls are rowdy. I think that there's something to that <laughs> because we were so repressed, you know, during the time that we're there. And the moment that bell rang and we were going to leave the grounds of the high school, we would roll up our skirts and lower our, sc- our socks and we would prance out there just waiting for those cathedral boys to board that bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I mean, were, I, you have a point that most of the Catholic school students I know, the, the girls are pretty rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> well, not rowdy, like chola rowdy, <laughs> which was like my dream and when I, when I was a kid to be a chola. But but no, I mean, you know, it, it, it was, it, it had its moments. I know several of my classmates never graduated, but I think I was just too scared of my parents, yeah. you know, yeah. to even think about going out with a guy by myself. Never, never. Yeah, were they disciplinarians? Very. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my father never touched the girls, but my mother, oh boy, you know. (laughs) Did you also have a very strong mother, strong Mexican mother? Yeah, she's, she was. Yeah. Just the, you know, the the role model. She was the rock of our of our house. She knew everybody. She did everything. She mm-hmm. got us involved in a million activities around East L.A. She was generous with her time and and taught us to also be generous with our time. And we volunteered a lot. And we were the, you know, we were we made an impact in East L.A. through my mother. Yeah. You know, Cleland House. She volunteered at Cleland House, joined all the mother's team, uh, the clubs. And the res- the I think the payday of all of that was, you know, her kids were able to go to Disneyland for free. On a, on, a, on a field trip. Oh, really? Go to Knott's Berry Farm. Oh, that's great. Uh, go to the beach, you yeah. know, another beach besides Long Beach, because that was our beach. And, you know, kind of exposes to life outside of East L.A. Yeah. But it was because my mother had to, you know, volunteer a lot and do a lot of stuff at Clennon House. But Clennon House is very important for our family. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you that I'm not familiar with, with, with what you're talking about. With mm-hmm. Clelland? Yeah. C-L-E-L-A-N-D, I think. Clelland House. Clelland House. What is that? It was a, what sort was of a non, non-profit community center. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it, it afforded to mothers clubs you know mm. social little clubs for them and and then after school programs for the kids and and they had a rummage sale there every like every wednesday and these women rich women from pasadena would come with used clothes and they would donate those clothes and i mean there wasn't a Wednesday when my mother wasn't there getting something for her children. I mean, there was a whole bunch of us. Yeah, yeah. And that's really where I sort of got this idea to learn how to sew because I would reconstruct, you know, yeah. outfits because I love the fabric. And then... Wait a minute, you know how to sew? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like full on make clothes? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm working on stuff right now. <laughs> it's my de-stressor. Remember, 
I went to school with nuns who <laughs> offered home ec classes. Mm, yeah. Who knows about home ec now? They would teach you how to cook. Yeah. They would teach you how. They, we had Mr. and Mrs. Adair who used to teach us how to do the waltz, how to sit down at a table, you know, where the fork was, where the knife was, where the spoon was, how to eat, how to, you know, properly yeah. sit yeah. with our shoulders back, the whole thing. Yeah. And for me... I don't know. I guess they didn't see my star power, <laughs> but they wanted me to, you know, they were preparing me to be a secretary. Mm. And I said, hell no. I never learned how to type. You didn't? No. I rebelled. And to this day, I regret it because I'm yeah. like, you know, two finger typist. But no, that was my re- my rebellious yeah. attitude toward wanting to be a secretary. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. I, 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 I like, Kids nowadays don't take typing, do they? <laughs> no, they have a cell, they have a phone. <laughs> but still, you have to. I because I, I took typing at Garfield High School. I think I actually also took home economics, and oh really? They taught us how to do like we we had to like do a pillow in the form of lips. <laughs> oh, well, that's <laughs> kind of sensual. I know. Well, it was public school. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they would never teach us that. <laughs> it's a little more wild over here It'd at Garfield. Be La Vita de Guadalupe or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like velvet lips that we had to. I, I might be remembering incorrectly, but that's what I remember. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always surprised that kids nowadays aren't aren't taught typing because it's just such a critical. No, no typing. One of my yeah. fondest memories with you, Teresa, is really early on in after I graduated from law school. You had a tamalada, a tamalada. Am I saying that right? Yeah. At your house, where you all kinds of people from the Latina Lawyers Bar Association went to your house to make tamales. Yeah. And I went. And you I, did. Yeah, I did. Huh. It was just such a wonderful experience mm-hmm. to have all of these Latina lawyers yes. getting together to do that. Yeah. yeah. That was fun. Well, that kind of stems from my mom. We would make tamales every Christmas. Yeah. You know, my mom, my dad would be mixing the masa, you know, with my brothers. And uh, yeah, we did that every year, make tamales. So then you, you went to, I think you said Immaculate Heart College? I did. What What did you do after after college? Well, right after college, and you know, I have to tell you that it was through my husband who kind of pushed me to go to college, because at Sacred Heart, I was going to be, you know, they wanted me to be a secretary or housewife or whatever, but I rejected all of that, and uh, uh, it was when I met my husband at age 17 that he kept saying, you got to go to school, you got to go to college, and I said, me? Go to college? Are you kidding? He said, no, you got to go to college. Just go to, you know, LACC, take a couple of classes. And so I followed his advice and I just realized, hey, I could compete with everybody else. I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who isn't capable. I just didn't have a lot of self-confidence in the college world. Right. But yeah, after I went to college from LACC, I went to Immaculate Heart College. I graduated as an elementary school teacher. Yeah. And my very first job was at Malabar. Oh, really? Malabar Elementary. Over there by... Um, Green and mm-hmm. Malabar. Mm-hmm. By the big burritos, by uh, El Tepeyac. Yeah, yeah, with Manny at that time. Yeah. He was alive and kicking. And, uh, and Ciro's, and Ciro's used to be there. And, um, yeah, Ciro's, yeah. that was our lunch spot. Yeah, so I taught there. And mm. so it's like, there's a lot of stuff going on in my family because I'm I'm leaving I'm I, I'm leaving my home and I'm getting into a relationship that you know my parents really didn't really approve of with this 
person who was, you know, he was a man. I was 17, and I think he was 25, 27, 27. And, uh, you know, smart as a whip and sophisticated and from a very well-known family in LA, and I didn't know all this. But yeah. anyway, we've been married. We're going to be married 50 years in September. That is so great. Right? Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's amazing. And it's because of really him that I went to college. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it's really because of him that you've been married for 50 years. <laughs> well, yeah, he's got a lot of patience. <laughs> he's got a lot of patience, and, but a lot of encouragement. He's been my biggest fan, mm. you know, my 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 north star you know it's like do this no i can't do that yes you can do it no but i can't yes you can you know always yeah. yes you can do it and it's been like that from the moment i met him you know always letting me know that i'm smart enough to do anything i want and just give it a lot of ganas and and i could do it and Listening to him and his dad every morning talk about their cases, you know, they would get on the phone, hey, Pop, where are you going today? You know, who's the judge? Who's your defendant? Mm. What's he charged with? And and who's the DA? And blah, blah, blah. And I would find it fascinating, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And uh, here I'm getting ready to, you know, leave the door and go teach and take my daughter to the daycare. And, and they're talking. And I just found it fascinating. And one day he says, you should go to law school. I said, yeah, right. Had, you, know? you had not thought about it? No. Mm. No. It's that, you know, you become your worst yeah. detractor, your worst enemy. You know, you beat yourself up the most. Right. By, no, I'm not smart enough. No, I can't read law books. No, I'm never going to be able to write a, you know, a, a, a paper, a memorandum, a pleading, whatever. No, 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 no. And he would say, Yes, you can. Oh, Go. Gosh, that's Go. I- invaluable. Just, invaluable. Yeah. Invaluable. And, uh, you know, life just works in, in so many interesting ways when you least expect it. My mother, who took care of my child, my daughter, Maya Luz, who is now a school teacher with LA Unified and has been there for a while, my mother lived two blocks away from People's College of Law. Mm. And when I would pick up my daughter after school I'd have to drive down or, or up from and, and and cross people's college and I'd see all these Latinos and black young adults out there and I'd say what the hell is going on over there and one day I stopped and it was a law school mm. and I saw some friends that I had known from Cathedral Pete Navarro was oh, there really? Yes, Antonio Villaregosa was oh, there wow. from Cathedral. So they said, yeah, come and speak to the you know main person, and you should come, and it's at night, and blah, blah, blah. And I told my husband, he said, do it. Mm. So before I knew, I was a, a law student a night, going to school at night. And it was the most incredible experience of my life. You know, it, it was a social justice yes. law school, yes. non-traditional. We did, we did everything that involved progressive politics at that time. We marched, we protested, we boycotted, we volunteered at the Tenant Rights Center. We did everything. We cleaned toilets, we emptied trash cans yeah. at our school. We ran the place. And before you went to People's College of Law, did you have like a political or a progressive, like were you political 
before that? Yeah, I was. Yeah. And it was all because of my mother. You know, my mother, mm-hmm. when we were in East LA, she, through Clinton House again, she was part of a group of volunteers that walked precincts for Ed Royball. Oh, wow. Wow. And it's kind of started there. And then, you know, the movimiento with mm-hmm. Sar Chavez and the grapes and and the strawberries and i remember when my dad was laid off of work because the negotiations with the, with owners weren't going right and they were all they were laid off we would go to oxnard he would pack his th- three four older kids in the station wagon drive to oxnard my mother would pack us bags and buckets of rice and beans and all kinds of stuff and we would go and we would go pick strawberries mm, in oxnard really uh-huh he was a, a really dedicated and committed union member yeah he would not cross that picket line so it was from there you know yeah. that mentality of having you know to go with my dad to these union meetings and translate from English yeah. to Spanish to the workers there. And and it was there. I, and my, you know, Cesar Chavez, who didn't love Cesar Chavez, who didn't boycott grapes and lettuce and all of that. And my mother was right in there with me. Yeah. So I've always had that consciousness, you know. And to this day, I mean, I just yeah. feel so honored to have been to have been part of that history. Right. And so just by coincidence that your mom lived close to People's College of Law mm-hmm. and you driving by and wow, that it, I mean, that's, just, that's amazing. Yeah. And I enrolled and, you know, it's not easy going to school at night. Yeah. And you, having you your working. family. Yeah. I kept working. I became yeah. a, a substitute teacher. So I'm all over the, mm-hmm. the county and I mean, you know, where LA Unified is. And yeah. And then going to work, I mean, going to school at night, but making dinner before I left, taking my daughter, you know, giving yeah. her a shower or bathing her and getting her ready for yes. for bed, and then I'm taking off. But it was the most amazing yeah. experience, you know. I've, I have friends there that are solid mm-hmm. friends, and, mm-hmm. and I was able to go to law school with Antonio Villaraigosa, who remains a very close friend of mine, Gilbert Cedillo, you know, he was a, a leader there. Maria Elena Durazo, yeah. another leader yeah. there, Yikes. and a very good friend of mine. And uh, they went off to politics. You know, they yeah. took that political road and and made tremendous change and impact. I mean, certainly. I mean, you're talking about some of, yeah, some of the biggest political yeah. persons who've had such a vast impact yeah Just, they did and they they remain and still you know, i mean they still, remain yeah. powerful and very effective with bumps in the road yeah, you, know, you know we all have our little bumps in the <laughs> yeah. road but their hearts in the right place right and, and they're focused and and then i went to uh, you know i i passed the bar and i became a lawyer and and uh, what did you do after after passing the bar well, you know, I passed the bar and they hired me at the Federation of Labor. The, what is it? The, the is it the American Federation? Yeah, the Federation of Labor, right there where on, on 9th Street. And I worked there. They were going to put together a nonprofit 
but the goal was to organize and, and legalize immigrant workers. It was during IRCA, Immigration Reform and Control Act yeah. of 1986. So they hired me as the executive director. And I think it was because, you know, I was doing a lot of volunteer work during that IRCA time. I, I you know, I worked at Legal Aid a little bit. I worked at all these little nonprofits that were helping all these immigrant workers. Yeah. And I caught the eye of, of one of the big union guys, and and uh, he said, we need you. We want you to to become our executive director of this. It was called LIAP, Labor Immigrant Assistance Project. And so I did. I was there three years. But during those three years, Sandra, their focus was just sharp in that nobody got legalized without knowing the benefits of becoming a union member. Mm. You know, so it was organized yeah. and, and legalized. And we did hundreds of thousands yeah. of immigrant workers were received that service, their education, their everything that involved getting their papeles, you mm -hmm. know, their mm -hmm. legal status at the end through farm workers or through being here. I, I can't remember all the details, but we did it. Yeah. And I was there three years, and then I kind of hit the glass ceiling, you know, and I needed something else. I was a lawyer. I wanted to practice mm. law. And then I got hired at the Federal Public Defender's Office, right. which yeah. is a life-changing moment for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I, I did know that you worked at the, at the Federal Public Defender's Office. How many years were you there? Five years. Five years. And so you were doing... I mean, obviously, criminal defense work on the federal level. Yes, I was representing a lot of bad boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I loved them all. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just loved my job as a defender. I loved my clients. It was the bank robbery capital. L.A. was a bank robbery capital of the world. And most of my clients were bank robbers. Really? Oh, yeah. But, you know, you also had that horrible crack academic, about, oh, yeah. um, pandemic and uh, yeah. all of that played into harsh sentencings and, yeah, but... Teresa, let me ask you because, I mean, when I often, when I think about federal court, I'm, I'm in federal court sometimes, but not that regularly. It's a really intimidating place to be because it's very formal. It's very... Not Latin, not Latino, and not Latina. And how 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 was that for you in terms of going to the federal public defender's office? Well, it was very intimidating, mm -hmm. and my learning curve just shot from zero to you know sky high. I felt like I was always researching and, and learning things. But our office was a small office; it was very supportive. Yeah. And I, you know, I just kind of like jumped in jumped the in. fire yeah. and learned how to do things a la brava, you yeah. know, you had yeah, to. you have to. And... Um, were, you, were, you, were you trying cases? I tried, I tried a couple of cases. You know, the feds, when they indict somebody... It's because they've got the goods on right. you. It's rare yeah. that anybody walks in federal court. Right. Rare. So you work out the best deal for your client. You know, all the your clients, oh, no, you know, some other dude did it. I, it wasn't me. You know, that's not me. And, but then, you know, the, all the <laughs> discovery, all the, all the evidence, evidence starts coming in. And then you send it to them because they're all on MDC. Yeah. You know? 
Men- Metropolitan Detention Center. Oh, okay. They were all detained. Yeah. Oh, that's the one right off the freeway right here, yes. off the 101. Yes. Yeah. So I lived at the courthouse, but my Saturdays mm. were at MDC. My oh, Sundays wow. were at MDC. So I would send them, you know, the discovery after they were arraigned, and I was assigned to the case, and then say, no, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Okay, okay, just wait, you know, I'm going to send you all the stuff, and you read it, read it, and then when you're ready to talk to me, just call me. And then they'd call me, and they, you know, they'd say, <laughs> work out the best deal for me, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we'd go over the evidence, you yeah. know, bank robbery cases, they had the video, they had the fingerprints, they had the ID, <laughs> they had everything. They had the red dye pack on the shirt. <laughs> so, yeah, they had the goods on him. So, so it's just working out the best yeah. deal, you yeah. know. But I'm very proud to say that I did get a not guilty plea in a trial, multi-defendant, oh, really? big drug case, yeah, out of Mexico. And uh, my little client, I believed in him, and uh, we went to trial, and they acquitted him. They found everybody else guilty, and oh. he didn't have to snitch on anybody. He didn't have to, you know, en- enter into any plea agreement. He didn't testify against anybody in a negative way to... Yeah. you know, really but. complicate their lives more. <laughs> and he walked. And that day, justice was done, because I really believed in him. Yeah. You know, little little guy from Mexico who was just in the wrong place at the oh, wrong wow. time. And, and yeah, so I have that little feather in my cap. Right. I got a not guilty. And you don't get those in federal court. That sounds like a big feather, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I was really proud of that. But, you know, I was only there five years, and then my life changed again. And how so? Well, I've always been involved. I was always involved, and I maintain my involvement with Mexican-American Bar Association. Mm-hmm. And I was very, you know, active in volunteering this and this committee and that committee. And one of their events at the LA Athletic Club, sponsored by MABA, I attended, and Ramona Godoy Bettis was there. She was a justice in the district court. She was a, a, an appellate court. Yeah, a California District. California Court of Appeal Justice. Yes, yeah. yes. And I didn't know her because I'd never stepped into a state court. Yeah. I was at the federal level. I didn't know anything about state stuff. But she approached me, and she said, and I know exactly where I was when I heard those words, because I'm a member of the LA Athletic Club. I, I do you know deep water aerobics there. And... When I go to the third floor and I look at that beautiful hall, I said, that's the spot where one day I'm going to put a little sign there for Justice Ramona Godoy Perez. Because she came up to me and she said, Teresa, there's an open seat at the East LA Municipal mm. Court and you should run for it. Oh, wow. I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> I know what the East LA Municipal Court is, but open seat and run for it. Like, what? what is she talking yeah. about? And she said, look, there's never been a Mexicana there. There's never been a woman there like, you know, from a Mexicana woman there. And you would be the best candidate. You should apply. And she said, meet me, you know, at Olvera Street. We'll go to one of the restaurants there and we'll talk about it. Okay. So I did all that. And then I called Antonio. Antonio Veragosa. Yeah. And I said, Antonio. 
and I told him what was happening. He said, okay, tomorrow we're going to my <laughs> campaign pe- people, and and uh, they're going to represent you. And anyway, from one week to the next, my life changed. Really? So that quickly? It was that quick. What year was that? That, is a that was in 95. Okay. In 1995. So by 1995, there had been no... Mexican women at the East LA Municipal never and the East LA Municipal Court we're talking about the one by the by the clinic right by the yeah right here on on just a couple of blocks from where I was raised (laughs) just a couple of blocks from where we're at right now on Arizona and third Mm -hmm. right okay Mm -hmm. wow right there and so what can you tell me about that? What was the you ran for the open seat on the bench at the East LA Municipal Courthouse? Yes. So an open seat was that there was this, uh, a judge already sitting there, and he had planned to retire yeah. at the end of his term. But we had a Republican governor, and he didn't want a Republican governor to appoint. If he were to retire before his date, then you know the governor can appoint. So he sat until the date of his retirement, and that made it open. So since they knew that that seat was not going to be left until his last date of retirement, then somebody else could come in. It was an open seat. I think that's how it works. I mean, there might be a little twist and turns, but that's pretty much it. And so she knew about it. Justice Ramona knew about that. I was... You know, I was in another world. Yeah. I knew nothing about that. You were that. in federal court. Yeah. yeah. But, and 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 the only thing I knew was I knew where East LA Court was because I was raised around the corner from there. Right. You know, my parent, my mom would take us to go get all our vacunas, you know, at the Roy Ball Center. We'd line up with everybody else. So we had all our shots there. I I dance at the I dance mm. Balipo Folklorico at the at the re- recreation center there. I swam at the plunge. I mean that was my little world mm-hmm. of activity, mm-hmm. right? So I knew where the court was and and so one just one thing led to another. Before I knew it, I had this massive campaign going on. Wow. To get me elected, right? Yeah. But I had two guys. I was running with against two guys that also threw their hat in the in this campaign, and uh, you know, two Mexicanos, part of the boys' club. I'm going to talk about it because well, it was not it was not pretty. They made my life miserable. Um, we, can we name them or no? <laughs> Why not? I <laughs> Why not? I, I beat them. Who I beat they? them bad, too. I mean, it's public record. Who were they? Yeah, one was Armando Moreno, who was already a commissioner mm-hmm. sitting at some court, municipal court, as a commissioner wearing the robe. Yeah. And then the other one was Tony Luna. Mm. He was at East L.A. as a commissioner and very popular in East L.A. Yeah. I didn't know this. Uh, all I know, knew was that Tony Luna was at UCLA with my husband at law school and that he was one of my husband's students for tutoring. My husband tutored mm-hmm. Tony Luna. And but that's all I knew. But when the campaign started and I started raising money and I started, you know, walking all the precincts and I talked to all the high propensity voters and I just did everything I was supposed to do. And I had a grassroots organization of students from Garfield and they were my volunteers and they would walk with me. And I started hearing things about Tony Luna. And that's how I, I found out the flip side of Tony Luna. But... 
more than anything, it was the guys and their colleagues and their friends, the bar, the lawyers in that community, you know, Beverly Boulevard. They made my life miserable. Did they? Yes. How? They were, they were the boys. They were part of the boys oh, club. man. It was a very powerful, powerful clique, you know, of, yeah. of these guys. And, yeah. and they were like, who in the hell gave you permission to run? That's what they told me. One of them said, who gave you permission to run? You know, like a badass cholo. You know, Esa. That really? Kind of, yeah. And then they called me a carpetbagger. Oh, they, what? A carpetbagger? Uh-huh. They didn't know anything about it. They told me, they said that I represented rapists, murderers. Oh, you know, you don't do that in federal court unless somebody's <laughs> raped at a, you know, yeah. at the military or a, or a reservation. But yeah, they, they really gave me a lot of grief. But it was that old boys network, yeah. you know, in East LA. Like, how dare you even think about this, even yeah. think about running? So my campaign, people said, you know what? Don't pay any attention to them don't respond to them you just keep your focus and work hard and i did i worked so hard and they never really took me serious yeah because they thought it was between them one of them was going to become the next judge at east l.a yeah it couldn't have been the woman right because i was a woman candidate right but you know, I kept my focus and I had a great, I mean, all the politicians of that period, the, the mero meros, you know, yeah. the Latino, Chicano politicians, they all endorsed me. Right. And my fundraiser would say, an endorsement ain't shit unless they give you money. Right. And so she taught me how to raise money. Yeah. And I raised a tremendous amount of money. I mean, which is absolutely critical if you want to run for either the bench or for yeah. or for office, right? Yeah. I raised a tremendous amount of money and it was it was hard. Asking people for money yeah. was hard. Yeah. You know. People that I don't even know. Yeah. But she would say, Okay, today you're gonna raise thirty thousand. <gasps> I would say, Oh my god, I would run to the bathroom, I'd vomit. I was a mess. I was an absolute mess, just the pressure. But she said, Look, I'm gonna teach you how to do it, I'm gonna teach you how to ask money. Here's a list of all the Dems, the Democrats who give money, and you're just gonna introduce yourself, tell them what you're doing and what you're running for, give them a little bit of your background, and then I'm gonna raise a piece of paper and it's gonna have an amount on it, and you're gonna say, Can I count on you for? And then, you know, I'd have a paper with $5,000. $2,000. And she would just put it up yeah. as you're on the phone call? I mean, I'm like, oh. one, can you give me 50 bucks? <laughs> but no, she'd add a couple of uh, zeros to that. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, just hearing you talk about it terrifies me. Like, it's it, I was me terrified. Out. I was. I was. I, I was a mess. But you did it. I did it. Yeah. I did it. Because I was determined. I was determined to, you know, I figure I got into this. Now it's mine. Yeah. You right. know, it's mine. So on the primary, I didn't get enough votes to win it outright. So it was Tony Luna and I. Armando Armando Moreno was out. And then the fight was between Tony Luna and I. And did, and did you get, in the primary, did you get more votes or did Tony Luna get more votes? I got more you votes. You got the most votes, mm-hmm. yeah. But it was not not, not over 50. No. Yeah. So then, you know, I went back to work and... Did you get worried because... 
after Moreno fall, fell out, did you think his votes were going to go to Luna? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Moreno's votes were not coming to me. Yeah. Any vote I got was because I, you know, I worked hard for it. Right. And, but I had a great team, a ground team, my political team, my fundraising team, all my, you know, my supporters. And we did it. We won. Yeah. Yeah. That's so amazing, Teresa. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The ground, I mean, it sounds like the groundwork was demanding but also it seems like also rewarding yeah exactly beautiful experience and i really got to know more of my barrio you know east la because it was the municipal court so it was unincorporated east la montebello and city of commerce so not a countywide it's not a countywide it was just there oh wow yeah it was the municipal court yeah so just totally where you grew up and totally where i grew up and my mother would you know be knocking on friends homes and get them involved and come and you know make calls for us or come and make some tamales so we can feed the volunteers and it was great it was great and you won I won. You won. I won. It what changed that, my life. What was that like for you when you, I mean, what was it like for you when you found out that you had won? Well, I was at uh, King Taco. The <laughs> owner of King Taco. Really? Sponsored my, my victory party. Oh. And, <laughs> that is you know, perfection. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Mm. He was a very generous man. Was he? Yes. And uh, so the party on, I think it was Olympic Boulevard, that big hall that he had on Olympic Boulevard, that's where we had our party. And I remember driving with my family in the car, and I would tell them, okay, guys, you know, if we don't win, it's okay. You guys were incredible. The mm. team was incredible. It's okay, you know. We yeah. don't. And then my husband would say, you're going to win. You're going to win. I say, babe, but we don't know, you know. But if we don't win, I'm so appreciative. You know, thank you, guys. You're going to win. Okay. So anyway, we had a hell of a party. Yeah, I bet. We had a hell of a party, but not knowing, you know, the votes are coming in. They're tallying them. And till the the hour came when my political director uh, said, you won. You won. There's no way he is going to beat these numbers. Wow. You won. Wow. And we partied all night. (laughs) The tacos kept coming and, you know, la cerveza. How did I miss that party? I don't know, (laughs) but it was packed. We had a wonderful... And you can imagine my parents and my family. These two people who worked so hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. And here they're they're seeing their eldest daughter achieve... So much in this country, you know, it was like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. This is why they came for the opportunity, you right. know. Right, and how it's it, it's also just also, I mean, we all know that, right? Because we all a lot of us who come from immigrant parents, it's just really also very satisfying to know that you've you've done something with what they've given you. Yes, you know, exactly. Yeah. You've 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 milked it to the most. <laughs> Exactly. And, yes. But it was because of their discipline. They yeah. were very disciplined yeah. with me. And then I met a man who was very encouraging. Well, your parents also sound like they were very hard workers. Like that, oh, you know. That's an understatement. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so, so you took the bench. So with the first day of East LA, <laughs> yeah. when I took the bench <laughs> in East LA, of course, you know, 
since I had never been to a state court, I'd never been into a oh, state courtroom. Oh, you had court never room. been into a state courtroom. No, I didn't know a big how it was. <laughs> I thought it was like a little mini federal court. So I thought everybody was going to rise <laughs> and, you know, just give me all this deference and, you know, la, la yeah. mera mera, just took the bench. Yeah. No, are you kidding? There's so much noise going on. The lawyers are talking. And, and then the bailiff finally said, okay, you know, you know, judge, I'm just going presiding and everybody be quiet. Okay. <laughs> and I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked. Because it was chaos, yeah. but organized chaos. Everybody was working out deals, talking to the DA, trying to get you know so whatever was, they wanted. Yeah, this was a criminal court. This was a criminal courtroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were dealing with district attorneys and mm-hmm. criminal defense attorneys, some most of which were probably public public defenders. Public defenders yeah. and uh, the DAs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I learned, and and one thing that my husband would tell me is don't think you're all that, you know, don't think that, you know, just because you've got this enormous power that you're better than anybody. Mm. If you don't know anything, call for a little sidebar. Yeah. Tell the lawyers, can I see you at sidebar, please? May I? Then they come and I say, what the hell are you all talking about? What does that mean? (laughs) Right, right. What do you really want? That's such good advice. Yeah, it is. It grounds you. Yeah. It's it also just really smart to say, I don't know, rather than pretend that you do. Well, they knew I didn't know. Yeah. Everybody knew yeah. I was a newbie. Yeah. Everybody knew I'd never been in a so state court. you don't go to, like, judge training? <laughs> There's no judge yes, training? Yes, but not, I didn't have judge training on the first day that mm. I took the bench. I'd had maybe judge training a couple of months later. Yeah. But... Wow, so you just took the bench. Yeah, la brava. <laughs> I mean, I I knew the files. I knew what yeah. what was going on because I went over them yeah. in in chambers, and with my clerk. But no, I, I I learned on the job a lot of times. But through lawyers too, yeah. you know. And I'd ask them, okay, what does that really mean? You know, and and they we were see, great. We I see a lot of that too because a lot of the cases I file are at the Stanley Moss Court Courthouse in mm-hmm. in downtown, whereas where you can file employment cases. And so a lot of like some of the newer attorneys, they don't, I mean, you know, if they didn't practice employment law, there's no reason why they would know employment law. If they were criminal, if they were criminal attorneys, for sure, they're not going to know employment law. So you do have to do, you do know that with some judges, you have to educate them mm-hmm. on the law and, and mm-hmm. what, you know, how things go down in certain cases, which is always really interesting to me when well, you become true. a judge. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, yeah. you know, when you get to the Stanley Mosque and you're handling employment cases, you're playing with the big boys. You know, you're not, uh, yeah. they're not going to put you in a direct calendar civil courtroom if you don't, don't know a little, you know, a little, somewhat yeah, about yeah. it. And you've taken courses already. Yeah. That's one thing. The, the Superior Court did offer a tremendous amount of courses on on every little nitpicking area of the law. Oh, yeah. So th- there's no way that you're not going to know the law. Right. But, you know, when I when I f- went to Stanley Mosque and I spent 20 years or when, really 19 years at Stanley Mosque after East L.A., municipal court, because the courts organized, you know, it was that consolidation. Yeah, where I remember that. Municipal court ended and then we all became superior court judges. Right. 
And I was very, very fortunate to be um, asked if I wanted to come to the Stanley Mosque courtroom and take on a civil direct calendar court. And at that time, uh, the presiding judge who invited me, you know, of course, you can't say no. I mean, that is like going to, right. you know, getting your... The your, major leagues? The major leagues, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get, going to the major leagues. And I told him, man, I don't even know how to spell demur. <laughs> I don't even know how to spell demur. I mean, it is a hard word to spell. <laughs> yeah. How are you going to put me in this, you know, this yeah. high profile, powerful courtroom? Because you hadn't done civil at all. At all. At all. Like state or federal. Mm-mm. You hadn't done any civil. No. Yeah. And just so, just anybody out there, like there's two sort of arms mm-hmm. or branches of, of lawsuits. You have the criminal branch which is where, you know, you have a district attorney, a public defender, and then you have the civil branch where it's people suing each other for... It's money. Money, for monetary Mm -hmm. compensation. And in criminal, it's, you know, loss of your liberty. Yeah. But in civil, it's uh, money. Yeah, it's money. money. It's it's all money. But, yeah, I didn't have that experience. So I asked him to put me in a limited courtroom, Mm -hmm. limited civil courtroom, you know, little fender benders and things like that, and... And I did that for six months, and then I took a lot of courses to yeah. help me. And then I learned how to spell demur, <laughs> and uh, learned what that was. Yes. And uh, and then I started playing with the big boys. I mean, you were at Stanley Mosque, I think you said for when about did you, nineteen years. And when did you first go there? Two thousand. So that's so. I just want to say because I, I by two thousand I was already practicing. <clears throat> I was about three. I was I graduated in nineteen ninety seven. The what the judges have were back then as to what the judges look like now at Stanley Mosque is vastly different. There are so many more judges that are people of color at Stanley Mosque than there were when I first started practicing law, which is around the time that you went. I think there were three Latinas I mean, at Stanley Mosque when I first got there, or maybe two. Yeah, because three sounds like a lot, if I'm being Maybe honest. Two. Yeah. Now, but remember, when I became a judge in 1997, I took the bench in January of 97, I, there were five Latinas in the, in the, the whole, county. The whole county? The county of L.A., five. Latina judges. And I think most of them, if not all, were Mexican-American judges. Mm-hmm. But we were five. That is... That's, that was pathetic. Yeah. You know? In L.A., that's pathetic, yeah. Yeah. So, But little by little, you know, the numbers improved. But right now, what we're seeing in the past two, three, four years is retirements of all of those, you know, Latinos, Chicanos who came in. About the same time, they're all retiring. Mm-hmm. They're all retiring. And it's, you know, it's this group of people who have so much knowledge and yeah. of L.A., of, of the movimiento, their raza. You know, they were connected and uh, so active in, in so many things. And they're retiring. I mean, just last week. Three or four Latino judges, Mexican-American judges, retired from the bench. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And before, you know, a week before that, maybe one. And a week before that, maybe one or two more. So in the past, since the beginning of the year, there's been, you know, I'd say significant in light of the fact that 
we're not all of the bench. You no. know, it's no, still I mean, a very, you know... It's still, it's not equal to the numbers that we make up at the county. It no, doesn't represent no, the county. No. no. But what was it like for you back in the early, when you first got appointed to Stanley Mosque, what was it like for you as a Latina woman? Well, you know, I don't think I had much time to think about yeah. it because I was just inundated with these very complex and complicated cases, yeah. and very good attorneys. So I'm, I was always consumed by just getting ready getting for my done. calendar, yeah. you know, the next day. So I can't say that I felt disrespected or, you know, yeah. anybody threw shade on me. I don't think so. I mean, I just know that I worked hard. I did my best. But I knew that the something had to happen in our court throughout California that would is how should I say it that would expose these law these judges mainly white male judges to the Mexican Americans you know because I felt that. It was that they just had stereotypes yeah. about Mexicans that were so rough and ignorant and just yeah. that didn't serve any any good for a you know a Latino Mexicano defendant appearing before a judge who knew nothing about them except that their stereotypes, yeah. their ideas about oh, he must be a molester, he must be an abuser of his wife, he must be an alcoholic, he must have some diseases, he's lazy. Yeah. All these horrible stereotypes, stereotypes yeah. about Mexican men in particular. So I was very involved with the California Judges Association. I've always been, you know, yeah. I've had my hands and my feet and everything. So this organization is statewide. It, at that time, it had represented maybe 2,000 judges statewide. And I and they always traveled abroad. Mm -hmm. They'd go to England. They'd go to Canada. I mean, Europe, Canada. And I introduced a program where they would travel 200 miles from L.A., mm -hmm. you know, Go to Mexico. Let's yeah. go to Mexico. Right. And, uh, you know, after presenting the program to them in a way that, let's go learn about their judicial system and they could learn about our yeah. judicial system. And in the interim, you know, we learn about them, their culture, yeah. their language, their family, their history, you know, all of that. And so they got, they bought into it. And I, I put together these groups. Every two years, we would travel to Mexico. Yeah. And we did different parts of Mexico. We did Michoacan, we did Mexico City, we did Veracruz, others, I think, Oaxaca. And the sole, in my head, yeah, in my head, the primary reason to get these judges to Mexico was so they can see the people. Right. See the country. Get the full picture, not get just the this full limited. Picture. Yeah. 
and they met they went to sophisticated cities yeah they met amazing people mm-hmm. intellectual sophisticated beautiful people who were hard workers and you know loved their family and right. all of that had an amazing have an amazing culture and that you know is civilizations old and uh, yeah centuries old yeah. and and we bond, they bonded very well with those judges, and those Mexican judges bonded very well with our judges. And I think they be, the, our judges returned with a different sensibility right. of the Mexicano. Yeah. And when they saw a Mexican in front of them, you know, they weren't thinking about, yeah. oh, he's lazy, oh, he's a drunk, oh, he's a this, oh, he's... No, they're thinking about... Oh my God! You know, he reminds me of so and so when I met him in Mexico right. City and or Michoacan, wherever, and they come from a great place. And isn't that what really it's all about? Is sort of exposure, like That's just exposing it. ourselves to, you know, more than what we've learned. Our yeah. limited learning, chipping our, away, yeah. chipping away. Yeah. that's negative stereotype. That's why all those like currently all the hoopla about banning books or you know, not teaching certain subjects is just so, like, disheartening because it's like, why would you want to limit education in any way whatsoever? It's very Neanderthalish. It really is. It really is. But so, and do you still do these trips? No, I yeah. don't do these trips. You know, I just don't do them. But we did them for about 10 years. Yeah. You know, uh, all those relationships that I have built in Mexico yeah. started with these trips through with the judiciary here of California. Yeah. You know, we met with presidents, we met with governors, we met with all these very, very high-end judges, Supreme Court justices, and I've continued to build, those, maintain those relationships. Mm. And, you know, for all Mexicano, it's the relationship that yeah. you have with somebody that opens doors where you exchange favors. And, and I'm really happy and very proud to say that that is what has enabled me to call fulano de tal and say, hey, you know, can you help me with this? And, and, sí, señora juez, you know, no se preocupe. But then, you know, when the Mexicanos always tell you, no se preocupe, it's like, oh, darn. Okay. (laughs) But I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack a little bit back to you at Stanley Mosque, because I, I really appreciate you telling us about, you know, your, what you were doing to try to expose the judges to a, a bigger experience than they had. And I think that's so amazing. But I just also wanted to tell you that you being on the bench was left an impact for a lot of us because, you know, there weren't a lot of people who looked like us on the bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still not. But mm-hmm. even back then, there really wasn't. And I, don't, I, I think I appeared, I, had, I think I maybe had a case assigned to you it wasn't that often. It was maybe like one or twice, and the cases didn't really pan out. So I only made a couple of appearances in front of you. But it was just always like, it was just amazing to be able to go to in a courtroom where the person on the bench was somebody that I could relate to. And that, I think, left an impact for me, and I think it's left an impact for a lot of of attorneys. Because I've always heard, like, oh, I clerk for Judge Sanchez Gordon, mm-hmm. or oh, I, I externed with Judge Sanchez Gordon. There's just so many of us, you know, especially like the younger, you know, that you've had an impact on because you were on that bench and you were you were there, you know, just just being there and doing your work. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, I really believe 
in helping push women of color forward because I certainly didn't get where I am by myself. You know, I, 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 I crawled and hung on to shoulders of other people, you know, who, who helped me. So I really believe that externing, even if you were a C student, yeah. made a big impact in your legal career in future jobs. I well, focused on the students that were not star, you know, top 10, but were oh, primarily women of color. And it didn't necessarily have to be just Latinas. Yeah. Know? But I mean, just that's such an impact, right? Because where are you going to get that opportunity to be inside a courtroom Mm -hmm. and to see what happens like on a (laughs) practical level inside a courtroom? Because you certainly don't learn that in law school, right? Unless you are doing an externship or, or, or doing like a clerkship where you get to see that kind of experience. It's just such an advantage to know what that's like. When I, you know, when I first started practicing law, I didn't know what to do when you went inside a courtroom. You know, I didn't know that you had to give well this was back in the day to give two cards to the to the clerk and exactly sign in and those little yeah, things are so yeah. important mm-hmm. and how to deal with the clerk of the court yes yes and that they, you know in many ways they control a lot so always be nice to them and you know that you have to write your name on the on your number on uh, your bar your card no, bar on, your, on your no the docket number oh yes yeah the docket the number, number and who you represented on the back of the card like just all these little things that <clears throat> there's no way you can know that unless you've seen it or you've done it or somebody's told you, you know. Yeah. Well, I wasn't there to teach them the law, you know. Right. That was it. I told them from the very beginning, I'm not going to teach you what a demur is, what a motion to strike is, what, you know, all these motions for some reason. I'm not going to teach you that. But I am going to allow you to look at this file, I'm going to give you a file, you read through the file, you're going to read through the motions, and then when the lawyers come to argue that motion, I want you present in court. So you can see how the lawyers argue, how they interact with the judge, how they interact with each other. And I want you to be out there when the lawyers start coming into the courtroom, and I'm in the back, I'm in my chambers, I don't know what's going on out there, mm-hmm. but it, all hell can break loose out there. You know, they could be disrespectful with each other, they could be arrogant with my clerk, mm-hmm. they could be, you know, just think that they're all that, and they really aren't, but I want you to learn from that, you know? I yeah. want you to see how they interact with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even even because back in the day when you had <laughs> to go to courtrooms and like you had to be there for the whole docket you learn so much even from seeing other attorneys argue what was effective what was not effective Mm -hmm. how to address the judge how not to address the judge Mm -hmm. I mean yeah definitely that experience and that exposure Mm -hmm. is just critical you know to to get it before you graduate is just it's it's just a great opportunity and never to say well with all due respect your honor (laughs) Oh, my God, I wish I had a long arm and choked that person, you know, because I think it's so disrespectful to say that. Yeah, with all due... With, yeah. with any, to anybody. You're like saying you're an idiot, you don't know, and then their arrogance come out, and yeah. it's just not the right thing to do. So I, that was number one rule. You never, ever, ever say that to, to a judge in particular or to your colleagues there, you know, it's, you don't... Because that's basically saying, I know more than you. You're an idiot. Yeah. You should know better, that kind of a thing. Yeah. No, I know. It's just not a good idea to treat anybody like that. 
Judge, yeah, but judges especially, especially <laughs> you know, they're going to be deciding mm-hmm. your case. <laughs> yeah, judges have a lot of power. Judges have a lot of power. Yeah, they yeah. do. They yeah. really, really do. And I, t- you know, I, I, I really respect the power that I have. Right now, I'm sitting. I went back to the bench. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, during COVID. The caseloads all over the courts in the county just got backlogged so horribly that the chief justice made a call, and those judges had who had retired recently retired. She said, "Come back, you yeah. know, please come and help us." So I volunteered, and uh, right now I'm sitting in San Fernando court oh, r- courthouse in oh, San wow. Fernando. I'm in a misdemeanor arraignment calendar with a cell, a cell. In oh, my courtroom. are you serious? Like an actual cell? A cell. Uh-huh. Why? Well, because they bring in the custodies and the custodies are in the cell. Oh, like the ones we see on TV, like with yes. the glass partition and well, they're behind not, it? No, it's bars. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> they're bars. Oh, wow. I'd never seen anything like that. Wow. Yeah. So, but you know, Sandra, I'll tell you, it's very rewarding. It's all... Just the simple people, everyday people in the community, yeah, you know? Yeah. They're drunk driving, which is bad. Yeah. They're smoking and, and being under the influence of weed. They're Wait, beating is- up their wives or their girlfriends or their girl or their boyfriends, you know, yeah, all, all yeah. of these things. Yeah. Things that happen every day in yeah, our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your <clears throat> misdemeanor arraignments is sort of where they go when they're first being charged. Yeah, their and, first appearance. And they have to plead guilty or not guilty, mm-hmm. right? Their lawyer enters a not guilty plea right. on their behalf. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's yeah. different. It's not civil. It's not a bunch of, you know, lawyers. Uh, uh, I'm actually seeing, you know, the defendants. And sometimes their lawyer, their public defender, will allow me to, you know, make a couple of comments mm-hmm. to them, like, encourage them to really pay attention at the domestic violence classes Mm -hmm. or their AA or their NA classes and especially on the domestic violence class to learn you know not just to warm up a seat but to learn the tools and put them in their back pocket you know and and I tell them look I can I can relate to stress we're all stressed right but now you have now you're equipped with some tools to help you deal with that very stressful situation before you want to strike, you know? Right. Use the tools. It's there. Right. And so when I'm allowed to say a little a little bit like that or when I ask them, well, so how did it go? You know, how are you doing in your classes? And they allow their client to answer. Um, they'll say great things, you know? And the best thing about all that is that Everybody is listening. Mm. Everybody in the courtroom. In the courtroom, right. So right. it's a it's a good thing all the way around, yeah. you know. And you're enjoying it. A lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's a long day, though. You know, I get home, I'm so beat. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's a good day, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy doing that. That's really great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Teresa, we're reaching that part of the podcast where I ask you, what are your favorite three things? tacos <laughs> and i just want to say yeah that judge sanchez garden was the first guest of this podcast to actually bring tacos <laughs> to this recording so they were really good too so yeah. well i you know 
Who doesn't love a taco? And I don't know. I was raised on tacos. I mean, it's like my three favorite. Well, my dad was a butcher. Oh. So, you know, he'd come yeah. home with a little piece of fresh meat every day. And my mother would work it and just cook and make something wonderful and delicious out of that. But a lot of it was tacos. So yeah. tacos de lengua, tacos de birria, tacos de carne asada, de barbacoa. You know, carnitas, all of that. Yeah. We're very carnivorous. I'm still very <laughs> carnivorous. And uh, so I love them all, you know. Yeah. I love the accoutrements, you know, all I that know, stuff. I know, I do too. I love the that. onions and the cilantro. Yeah, I yeah. do too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. will you give me your top three or you just love them all? Well, I'll give you I'll give you my top one. Okay. That I, you know, when I'm feeling like, oh my God. I, I need somebody to eat somebody else's tacos, you know, is Los monchi, Monchis. Los Monchis, where's that? Okay. Do you know where Super, well, Cinco Puntos. Yes. Cinco Puntos on, on Indiana and uh, Cesar Chavez. And, yes. You know, there's Cinco Puntos there. Yeah. Well, that the tacos there and Cinco Puntos are pretty good. Yes. The carnitas. The carnitas ones. You know, you they're put your, huge. They're yes. huge. And they're good. The fresh tortilla. <laughs> yes. I like that. You know, the nopalitos, the guacamole. I like all of that. And then they have great... Um, great uh, chicharron there i like it they have really good chicharron they do yes they do but across the street right next to el super what used to be luckies well used to be luckies i guess <laughs> long time ago <laughs> like over a long time ago yeah um, the supermarket right across from cinco puntos yeah. yeah okay so right as you enter the 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 drive the the parking lot yeah. on on indiana there's a tarp a blue tarp. Okay. <laughs> and underneath that blue tarp, magic happens. And it's called Los Monchis. Really? Yes. And it's on, Los, la, la bir, Los, no, what is it? Los, la, taco bir, birria. Birria tacos. Yeah, taco birria. They do everything with uh, birria now, but it's called Birreria Los Monchis, I think. Oh, really? They make the best a crunchy dorados, you know, yeah. tacos dorados yeah. de, de, de birria. That's my fave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds really good. Now, what are the favorite, what are the favorite tacos you make? Well, I like to make tacos de, de uh, uh, carne picada. Mm -hmm. You know, that's so easy. Yeah. I get a pound or two and I make my, you know, I cook it up and I, you know, do it with all kinds of stuff in it. And then yeah. I I make my tacos and I either fry them or I put them on a grill with a little cheese inside so they stick, they oh, stick down, yeah. you know, they fold, they're folded. Yeah. And then I do all the other accoutrements, yeah. you know. That's what I like. It's easy and, and but I make all kinds <laughs> of stuff. I cook every day, girl, so I make all kinds of stuff. I don't know how you do stuff. that, but I, I cook, I cook too, but I, I, it's a lot of work to cook. Yeah, but you know what? If you start just putting on your music and yeah. start chopping and thinking and clearing your head and how are you going to deal with this problem and how are you going to do that and how are you going to do that and how am I going to make that dress and what kind of sleeve am I going to put on it? And, you know, I, oof, I solve all my problems I'm just so, chopping and cooking and I'm, sauteing. And I'm so impressed that you sew and you, did you? <laughs> Catholic school girl. 
That's what the nuns taught me. <laughs> do you ever watch Project Runway? I do. I love Project Runway. <laughs> yeah, Project Runway. I I think I just saw the last episode two nights ago. No, I, Those are you thinking are, about Top Chef? No, 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 no. No. No, I think it's Project It's the one where they have like five or six young designers and they're supposed to compete. And yeah. today you're going to make sportswear. Today you're going to make, you know, red carpet. Today you're going to make... And then they compete and then they eliminate. I love that show. Yeah. I think you're talking about the one on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's the one. Yeah, no, I love all those all those kinds of shows. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love that. I wish I baked because all that baking show... Oh. I love that. To, but I love the I'm baking not, shows too. Yeah, but I don't bake. No, I, I no no no. I make buñuelos, but well, that's more. Yeah, nah. it's not really. Mm-hmm. What do you I make don't. the tortillas for the? Yeah, I make the whole thing. The dough, the you oh know the, the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even have that little maquinita. You know the the little grill thing where you oh, make the buñuelos. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you dip it into the hot yes, oil. Yes, yes, yes. Wow, that's. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I did that for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. Yeah, they're I mean, you can't beat a good buñuelo. You no, know? they're good, and they're little. They're good. The size is good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. Well, I just want to really, really thank you for coming on and coming to my house and recording because I just think you have led an amazing life and you've left an impact on so many people, and I think you're going to continue to leave an impact. And I just, um, I just, I'm just really grateful you you came here today. Thank you, Sandra. I'm I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm honored to be part of your project. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you. Hasta luego todos. <laughs> now, if you enjoyed today's podcast and you're thinking, hey, I think I need to speak to a lawyer, you should get in touch with me. You can do that by going to scmlawoffices.com and sending me a message there. If you're not ready to do that, definitely say hi anyway. You can connect with me on Twitter at SEM underscore in underscore ELA. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.